I'm Jordan Hagedorn. And I'm John Kim. And this is Sneaker Salaries, a deep dive look at sneaker news and sneaker culture with insights from those that live the passion and the lifestyle of sneakers. Hey, we're back with another episode of Sneaker Salaries. I'm John Kim. And I'm Jordan Hagedorn. And today we're joined by Gia Su. She's a New York City-based creative, uh, art director, creative director, stylist, all in one. Gia, good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Wow, quite the intro. (laughs) So Gia, you are from Alaska and I can relate. I'm from Wisconsin. It's very cold there. Can you give the audience a little bit of a backstory of where you're from, kind of where you grew up and then how you became who you are today? Sure. Um, I am originally from a small town called Bethel, Alaska. Uh, We are completely surrounded on all four sides by tundra. So it was quite remote growing up there. Uh, Luckily for me, my parents traveled a lot when I was a kid. So we got to really explore um, outside of Alaska also. Fast forward when I was 18, I came to NYU to study film and business. And fast forward 11 years now, and here I am, a full-time freelance creative living in Brooklyn, New York. Love it. So you say you're a creative. You kind of are the queen of all trades, though. You, you're you a creative director. You love sneakers. You love culture. Um, and we really, really love your work. So can you touch on kind of your title, your how you see yourself, and kind of how you maneuver within the, the, the world? Ooh, uh, not to sound like a broken record here, uh, Jordan, but I really, I like to preface by saying that I think that Maybe because I'm not at a you know a very uh, large agency, but for me, I always felt like titles are a bit arbitrary in the sense that when I was coming up and interning and you know working in service and all of that, even as a director now, I still do all of the things I had to do as an assistant. I still do all of the things I would do if I hired an intern. Um, I think because I run a small, a very small, tight knit team, uh, everyone has to do everything. So that's the reason why I always say I'm a creative and never a director or a stylist. Um, I think that everyone in New York is pretty multifaceted in that way. Oh, I could definitely agree with that. I think you know, sneaker news too. You know, we're we're a small team as well, and everyone kind of has to be a jack of all trades in, in some sort of way. And even though I've been with the company for such a long time, I still get down to the nitty gritty and do what needs to be done. And I think that's kind of what makes, you know, the New York creative industry what it is, I guess. Uh, but let's kind of go back to um, your time in Alaska, you know, from when you were born to 18, that's a pretty big gap and then 18 till now. So let's, uh, well, how's the Korean food in Bethel, Alaska? It was good. I mean, when my mom is cooking all the time, like how, you know, how could it not be good? Right. But when I tell you I grew up in a small town, I grew up in a seven mile loop. Um, The entire town fits within a seven mile structure, which is when I became an avid runner because just running the seven miles over and over again. And then within there, we had almost no brand franchise. I think when I was, you know, coming to college around 17, I think we maybe got like a Subway sandwich. And that, I mean, that took seven years. Shout out to Subway, by the way. Jordan loves Subway. Can we get a sponsorship going or what? Oh, season two. But yeah, so it was mostly like mom and pop kind of shops or all locally stuff, local stuff. No Starbucks even. Oh my, Star- Starbucks what? I think maybe <laughs> maybe at the airport one time I had like discovered a Starbucks when I was a kid. Yeah, I mean, and even within the mom and pop structure, it was really like two restaurants, a big grocery store and like a smaller grocery store with a hardware shop attached and like a gas station and then homes. And my dad owned the one and only video store 
uh, before like Blu-ray and, you know, Redbox came in. And so that's kind of how I became a part of the Native community is like my father really uh, opened that door for us. So then when you decided to kind of make the jump, whether it be to, you know, kind of the greater 48, um, what led to that? What did something inspire you or spark, you know, what was sparked inside of you to kind of decide to go for it? So to rewind a little bit. So for high school, um, when I became, when I was maybe in eighth grade, Bush passed the No Child Left Behind Act, which was specifically targeted at states such as Alaska. And actually what that did for us, it really uh, took apart our skeletal structure and made it even more desecrated. So the education system was really shot. And my parents decided with me that they had to send me to boarding school. So lo and behold, I went to the Bay Area to an all-girls Catholic boarding school. The first year was really, really tough. And actually, basketball is what saved my life because I was able to join the team and it really opened up a community. So I guess it wasn't so drastic to say, like, I came from Alaska, this small town, all the way to New York City. I did have a little bit of a smaller or bigger town uh, experience in high school, albeit small because, again, all girls in a really small area in Monterey. So then you have that time in California. From there, what exposed you to either being creative or knowing that there was something inside of you that you could kind of pursue something different? I think that I was so lonely my first year there and I like couldn't really understand why my parents would send me away, you know, and my sisters and I have a seven and 10 year gap before me. So my excuse was always like, well, you know, my sisters were able to stay in Alaska and get a great education and went to great colleges. Why can't I? And what really brought me out of my shell was uh, my art professor. I have always loved art even since I was a little child. But in Alaska, we didn't necessarily have the fine arts programs that you would see, you know, outside of the or in the continental 48 states. So my art, uh, love of art really started with native tribals making things for our family for trade, whether it be, you know, moccasins in the winter, my mom would make them Korean food. Whether it be, you know, when they would go hunting, they would bring us like dry fish for the winter. And my mom in exchange would give them, I don't know, something she purchased in Korea. So that's really when I developed, you know, love of art, in particular heritage art. And then from there, when I was in high school, that's what my art professor really developed that more for me. So I think with uh, a lot of these um, unique stories, there's always like a butterfly effect type of thing where... If one thing happened differently in your life, you would not be where you're at right now. You may have just continued going to school in, you know, Alaska and and ended up who knows where. Same thing for myself, same thing for Jordan. Was there a butterfly effect moment or was that it? Was that was it just your encounter with your art professor that really changed kind of the way? I think that actually the credit goes to my parents um, because they for, they really they were like, Gia, you have to go. Like, we love you and you're not a bad kid, but you have to do it. And I remember I was really, really angry. It made me a really angry kid. But um, the butterfly effect being that had my parents not forced or pushed me, let's say, or motivated me to pursue education outside of Alaska, I truly believe I would still be there. You know, everyone in Alaska that, you know, the friends I still chat to, they're very used to a certain way of life and very comfortable that way. Their family's been there for generations, you know, they know everyone in the town, they're all related. So I can totally understand why you wouldn't want to leave a big family that way. Um, so it was really my parents who pushed me to see outside of what Alaska could offer me. What do you think you would be doing today if you stay there? Sadly, I, I feel like I know exactly what I would be doing <laughs> because I imagine I would be doing the same thing my friends are 
doing. Um, sadly, in the sense that I can predict that not sad in the sense that my friends are really, really happy with what they're doing. It's just a different journey, you know, so I probably would be a nurse working at the YKHC hospital there, especially with like the native elder circle. Um, I maybe would be married and have a small house and then a smaller like fishing lodge outside on the lake that we would go to in the summers. And I'd probably know how to hunt really well. (laughs) From what I know, there are no sneaker boutiques in Bethel, Alaska. Where did you get your sneakers? Or was it just like you never had any? Or there was no opportunity to wear them because it's so cold? Okay, where did I get my sneakers? So my love of sneakers started with um, practicality. Uh, I started playing basketball maybe when I was in fifth grade. And all of my sneakers came from catalogs. Uh, we did. I did not grow up with the internet. I think the first time I had dial-up, uh, I was 14. And then I had internet, obviously, in high school. But again, like we we lived in such an antiquated society. Like We played outside all the time all the time. Like we were never inside. So yeah, sneakers, like everything I ordered was from catalogs, sneakers, books, clothes, waiting two to three weeks and hoping that they would deliver to a PO box. Yeah. I remember my first pair of sneakers I ever bought um, uh, online, or I'm sorry, in a catalog were uh, blue and white Hirachis, Lowe's to play basketball in. So you're, uh, you talked about going to school in California and you played basketball and then you had this art professor or this art teacher who kind of was a catalyst for you. Can you then talk about your decision to move to New York and what played into that and what you were feeling when you decided to go down that path? So I never knew that New York was an option for myself. I always assumed that my collegiate experience would be a very uh, traditional collegiate experience, whether I always assumed I would go to a small college close to home, close to my family, because I'm very close to my family. But my art professor, uh, my senior or my junior year, when I was talking to him about my art concept, he really, really pushed me to pursue um, uh, submitting a portfolio to NYU and RISD and all of these other art schools. And I didn't even know I had a portfolio. And yeah, I don't know. He really just. Um, He was cool because Dr. Hearthstone is his name, but he was cool because uh, not only was he uh, the first exposure I had into real fine arts, but he was also the first exposure I had into the queer community, which I think I speak a lot about in my work as well now. And so he was really a catalyst for a lot of different cultures that I think I try to represent in a lot of my visual work. So you arrive in New York and you're, um, you know, going classes. You you went to NYU, is it? No, sorry. Where did you go to school? Yes, NYU. Oh, NYU. Okay. And then what did New York show you that you didn't necessarily see back in uh, in the Bay Area or obviously in Alaska? Man, that's a, ooh, that's a good question, John. I don't think it was the first thing I saw because I think that when I went to NYU, I was still in such a bubble there. Um, I didn't really venture outside of uh, my collegiate friendship groups, I guess, in that sense, even when I was interning and working in service. But I would say the thing that lasted with me the longest is how resilient everyone is in New York. Um, it's it's pretty unbelievable to watch people go through the things that I felt like I wouldn't even go through my lifetime to watch them go through it in a week and to still come out at the end of that and go, OK, let's move forward. I guess uh, living in Alaska, the struggles and also my age being different was just very different. So coming to New York, uh, when you know, you're hit with bills, rent, living in a very expensive city, you don't have the kind of... For me personally, I don't have like the physical support of my family here because they're so far from me. 
yeah, I have to learn to be super resilient and to grow thick skin, but also to remember that thick skin is not always the greatest thing and to be able to show, you know, your softer side when you need to. For sure. I think, um, especially from a lot of the people who come from like smaller towns to New York, I mean, every city is pretty much a small town compared to New York. You go from a place that is in some ways, I guess, restrictive in terms of what you can accomplish to a place where it's like you're constantly being reminded that you're not doing enough. I think that's the the big drawback of New York is that no matter how successful you are, there's always someone or something out there that's really saying, you know, you got to pick up, pick up the pace or whatever. Um, and I guess in that time you've, you know, grown to grown this career and this agency that you can call your own. But what's the simplest way you can describe what a an art director is? Because I get a lot of DMs from people, a lot of young people who say they want to be an art director or a creative director, but they don't really know what that means. And I don't really know how to explain what that means. So can you like lay that groundwork? What is an art director? Well, I will try my best, John, because again, I don't come from a traditional background of going through a lot of agencies in order to get my title. But I I mean, I did intern and work in a lot of agencies, but Um, I think there are different levels and different types of art directors. So for example, a lot of art directors I meet now don't necessarily have a design background, but um, have like a fine arts practice. So they'll come in and kind of consult with brands and tell them like, okay, you're releasing this product. This is the one sentence liner for this season. I'm going to help you build this concept. I'm going to help you execute it with your creative team. Then I'm going to figure out sort of the budgets and your demographic. Who are you targeting? And then from there, you start to think about, you know, your visual references and things like that. Then there's kind of your old school art directors, which personally is kind of my favorite world of art direction, which is you do come from not only a fine arts background, but you also come from a design background. So, you know, you're a proficient or advanced in pretty much every design program. And then from there, you can also consult with brands on the visual language of what they're trying to produce. Do you think art directors or anyone who works in art needs to have that it factor? You either have it or you don't. And you hear that term so many times, like you either have it or you don't. Do you say, do you think in your role or in your field that definitely applies or no? Like, can you study to be an art director? Like, you can study to be, you know, a CPA or whatever. Yes, I think education, period, is important. You can't have enough education ever. However, do I think that you necessarily need a formal education to become an art director? No, absolutely not. I do not have a formal background at all for being an art director. But what I did do was... Anytime I was doing a job on set, I would always speak to the art director, always ask if I can help. How, like, what do I need to do to be an art director? How did you do it? And I asked as mil- like many people as I possibly could, what was the journey you took? And then from there, I kind of pieced together what journey felt right for me. Yeah. And then that's how I kind of grew my background. But yeah, unconventional, I think, is kind of the new world we live in. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, I love the unconventional route. I think I had that. I dropped out of college and and you know went to college for graphic design for two years and eventually you know work in marketing and sales and and business and representing people and kind of just getting shit done. You know, there's people that get shit done and people that don't, right? And and you strike me as someone who does. So we we have a lot of respect for that. So can you talk about that kind of the conventional path versus non-conventional? And what you've learned and what you've enjoyed most about it being so unconventional versus just a straightforward going to school for exactly what you're doing. Just to um, to clarify a little bit, I do wish I could have had a formal background. Again, I think education is super important. So if it's an opportunity that you're given, I highly recommend that you jump at it, right? But unfortunately, I did not get to go to uh, school for art direction. So I 
personally, I am happy now when I look back on where I landed or where I started and where I landed because I am not just an art director, even though that's the path I wanted. I've had to go through the ringer and I've literally had to see it from the bottom to the top and back down and then back up and back down. Like I've hit rock bottom a million times building concepts, you know, like things didn't go right. I had to like figure out how to do propping, you know, I had to learn how to be a full creative team. And I don't think many people who do technically go through a conventional route will or can say that only because they don't have the time to do it because they're answering to someone else. And I think that's been the biggest learning lesson for myself is I'm almost too good at being told what to do. And then so when I work in corporate structures, I can't think outside of like, well, what is it that I want? Well, is this beneficial for me? Because all I can think about is, well, it's beneficial for them. They hired me. They're paying me. I work for them. So what I recognize about myself is I, ha- I enjoy working for myself. <laughs> I feel a lot more free and I feel a lot more mindful and thoughtful about you know the partnerships I can choose to work on or the content that I do want to create or the communities I do want to impact. I like having that control. There's something great about having freedom and the ability to shape things to be not only what's best for you, but oftentimes what's best for the client. And, and when you know what's best for the client, you truly feel that way. To have that freedom is is really impressive, and and that is why you're here. You know, we love hearing your story and and sharing it with the world because there's not many people who can kind of take uh, your background and the the unconventional path and and do what you've done is very impressive. I think though, like what we can all agree on is that, and I think everyone that we've had as a guest on this show and the people that I've just kind of come to know in the last what twelve years or so I've been doing this is that there's a lot of figuring shit out involved. You literally figure it out on the way. Dude, and, still, still figuring yeah. it out every day. I yeah. Have, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think like, um, I think it's important to be good at being, doing what you're told because, you know, taking direction is also very, very important. But I think in order to really separate yourself, you have to break away and you have to figure shit out. You have to take your lumps and, you know, you got to take losses. But, you know, the fact that the next step is so unwritten is kind of how we all land where we are, you know? Even if you do go in a corporate structure, which is fine, there really is no, like, path. You know, you got to figure it out and you got to make your own decisions, right? Let's go back to your time in college. And, you know, you said you, you know, didn't quite study, you know, in a traditional art background. Where where was the first step into where you are now? Like, where was the first move that you thought, okay, I'm making the right choice here? John, I ask myself that question every day for the past seven years. But it's, every every day I wonder, did I make the right choice? Did I take the right job? Did I do the right concept? Did I help with the right product? Did I support the right community? It's. I think that that's what makes me... Like, I think that the biggest thing for me when I started working for myself was time. I had time all of a sudden to be able to kind of think through these questions and not to blindly follow a leader and continue to create the things that they needed over and over again. Um, there was no real like turning point for me where it was just like, that's it. You know, it was more like talking to a lot of people and not just asking them the questions of like, what, like, what do you enjoy about art directing? I asked a lot of negative questions too. Like, oh, like this thing happened on set. Like, why did that happen with this art director? Okay. What type of thing do I have to do in order to X, Y, Z 
honestly was picking as many brains as possible that I had access to sending a lot of cold and blind DMs and emails to people that I really respect and hoping that maybe they responded. And, you know, you'd be surprised how many people actually respond to you when you're asking very focused and research questions instead of just, hey, oh my gosh, I love your career. I heard about you on this podcast. So what did you do to become a creative director? Okay, go. And you're just like, okay, let me unpack 12 years into a sentence of how do you become a, you know, it doesn't work that way. So I think that it was really just um, making myself believe that the most unaccessible people can be accessible if you are polite and if you are well-researched. You just have to engage them in the right way. So, you know, you're, you're done with school and you're kind of stepping into your career. At what point did you start to skew towards like fashion? Because I know you are primarily with more on the fashion side versus just sneakers, but I know you've done some campaigns with like uh, the Pharrell Adidas stuff recently with, you know, with Lead and you've done stuff with Nike and Foot Locker and whatnot. But um, at what point did it skew into fashion? So actually, uh, John, if you don't mind, it started the other way around for me. So my love of sneakers has always been here. Um, Right. However, I think that my career, it would be more correct to say, started in actual fashion. So contemporary fashion, the really like traditional, like my background is in retail, uh, content creation for a lot of retail stores, and then eventually buying for four years. So truly fashion. And then I think when I was buying, I had access to all of these showrooms with, you know, when Off-White was doing his first five sneakers with Nike. Uh, when, you know, uh, Pierre Moss was just anointed to Reebok and release his first sneaker, like I was still buying at that time. So I had access to seeing these sneakers six months in advance. And I think from there, it really made me realize that there's no longer a sneaker industry versus a fashion industry. There's just an industry and the marriage of everything within that. And I think from there, it's really when I started to not just look at sneakers and say things like, oh, those are pretty, oh, they're off-white, but to really understand the history of where these sneakers being released now and why, you know, Nike or Adidas is going back into the archives to release these sneakers, so to speak. I mean, I mean, that's kind of around the time when sneakers started to become the norm on runways. I think so. And now it's it's uh, it's opening the eye. Uh, first, you know, with sneaker collaborations, it first opened the eyes of the audience to small shops and boutiques. And now it's brands and stuff like that. And now Pierre Moss getting that's such a huge role at at, uh, at Reebok. And, you know, even like collaborators like Travis Scott, he's reportedly getting paid like 10 million a year from Nike or something like that. Again, I just I found that on social media. So I don't know if that's true or not, but it doesn't sound it doesn't sound unreasonable, you know. It doesn't. So, yeah. So, so what we've learned so far is that there's a lot of like figuring shit out on the way, but you have to really enjoy what you do, right? You have to really like it. You just can't want to be a sneaker writer or an NFL agent or an art director just for like the spoils of it. You know, you have to actually enjoy it. Um, what sort of advice can you give to someone who's, let's say, is in art school right now and who f- might might feel a little bit stuck because they they might feel that the curriculum is not really tailored to them or they really don't know, okay, once I graduate, what is the first step? Because since art as an industry is getting so big that it is almost kind of becoming, or in some pockets of it, there, it is kind of becoming a little bit corporate. So what kind of advice can you give to someone who wants to freewheel it a little bit? I think for me, when I was in school, uh, again, just to reiterate, I felt like I had no choice but to take a conventional route in the sense that, you know, you go to college, you graduate, you get a job, etc. But that it didn't happen for me that way. Um, 
when I graduated college, I had a job lined up, but in the end, the agency closed. So then I had to find a mean because my mom and dad were like, that's that. And I decided to uh, start from the bottom up again. And I said, okay, yeah, that really sucks. I put in four years of interning at a singular or multiple places in order to have this career afterwards, but it didn't happen. So I started working retail at opening ceremony. It was like the first store that really the sales staff was super nice to me. You know, it, I didn't feel like I had to be a really filthy rich Soho kid in order to hang out there and get to know the staff. And I really loved being a part of that culture and under, you know, like really was interested in starting and helping small brands. So my career actually started in retail and in service. And then from there, it was just meeting, you know, during fashion week, people coming into shop, you know, asking them, what do you do? Oh, do you enjoy that? Okay, what are some like advice you'd give someone working retail? So the advice I would give someone who's in school is it's never too late. It really isn't. I've started from the ground up multiple times, even a few years ago. And I'm 29, almost 30 this year. And I don't regret it. I would have regretted not doing that, I think. I like it. So let me ask you this. You know, you you talked about joining the basketball team. You're now in a, a really vibrant community, which is sneakers and fashion and kind of just being creative. What is it that attracts you to that? You know, it's almost like a, a moth to a light, right? You can tell like maybe you just weren't going to escape this. This is something that maybe called you. So can you talk about that? I don't know. I, um, My parents have always said that I'm the bleeding heart in the family, that I'm too naive when it comes to the goodness of people. <laughs> Um, and I think that for me, everyone, for the most part, like 90% of the people that I've met along my path who just happen to be in creative have been the most wonderful people across the board, not only just in, you know, a working relationship, but have taken the time to really invite me into their community to invite me to those, you know, dinners that I never got invited to as a kid, you know, things like that. And when you meet good people, it's hard to let them go, especially in New York when, you know, you grow up in a small town and you know literally all five, six, seven hundred people, you know, your whole life. And then to come to New York and you get glimpses of people when you interact with them, you don't get their whole life story because you didn't, you know, grow up with them like that. So you only really get these small pockets to really get to know real people. And so I don't know, John, maybe you disagree, but for me, it was really hard to find like real good community oriented people when I first moved to New York, like I really had to look for them and I had to search for them and really be aware of these communities before I even entered into them. So Gia, I want to say, you know, it sounds like you're a very genuine person. You've attracted a lot of great people. Uh, I always believe, you know, you get out what you put in and it, it sounds like you've put in a lot of hard work. And also the curiosity is very important for people to understand what goes into being successful is being a genuinely curious person and asking the right questions and and just continuing to iterate, you know, and keep going. So I have a quick question about when you were a kid, what would 10 and 12 year old Gia think of almost 30 year old Gia? Oh my gosh. I think she would be super proud. Like I never, I never thought I'd be living in New York at 30 by myself financially. Well, with this, let's say this year was a skip, but the year before, you know, for the first time ever, not in debt, was able to figure out how to financially support myself, uh, was able to invest in a dog that I've wanted for a really long time. You know, it's the small joys in life that show you that the successes of your hard labor are true. I think that she would be really proud. But I think the one thing she would say to me was, you should stop second guessing yourself so much because usually your gut is right. 
I like that. I like that a lot. So before we let you go, can you touch on for the audience just a little bit of some of your favorite projects you've worked on, some of the things that um, kind of 10 and 12-year-old Gia, I guess, would, would, would really smile about and be happy about to know that you've accomplished those things? I think that the project, the biggest project, it was a small project, but it was big for me, was um, working on the Pharrell sneaker release, which happened very recently. Pharrell is someone that introduced a lot of different industries to a young kid who had no access to internet, who had no access to, so you know, uh, pop culture. I didn't grow up with the TV. Like the only videos I could watch was what my dad, you know, rented us at the store. But I remember, um, I remember when my sister introduced me to Pharrell and I remember thinking that here's this person who has broken so many boundaries. Even I remember hearing conversation, oh, he's, he's queer. Oh, no one cares about him. Who cares? You know, it was all of these like really negative things to say about Pharrell. And then he dropped that song, which I'm just blanking on. Get lucky. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Wow. I'm really impressed that you. <laughs> that Jordan of all people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, Jordan, thank you. Wisconsin. Um, but that was like that, the biggest 360 punk. for me was Pharrell. Um, the fact that he chose a, a little girl from Alaska who had no ties to, you know, him or Adidas purely based off the fact that he maybe even, I don't even know if he's ever seen my work. I don't know if it was his team, who knows, but I felt like that was the universe being like Gia, all that doubt you had in the last two years. It's cool. Like doubt is only going to make you uh, work faster and harder and smarter. I mean, just quick side note about Pharrell. I think he he definitely had that impact on a lot of people. I think I have a lot of friends who say that, you know, they were genuinely lost in life because they felt they had to be a rapper or a gangsta or a baller or be, be really good in sports, especially in the black community. And then you hear you have Pharrell who's, you know, dressing like no one else is dressing, who's getting into the arts and all that kind of stuff. So he really has like so much influence in, in uh, just our, our whole, you know, the the way we look at you know fashion the way we look at you know even sports even you know it it definitely kind of blurred some lines so I think yeah for sure yeah for all definitely and then sorry just one more uh the, it would be a mistake not to mention this because I literally cried when this happened but um obviously a huge basketball fan growing up didn't really know what fashion was and one of the first people that really introduced me to like authentic genuine fashion was Allen Iverson and I grew up watching him play I. Well, kind of, you know, the, you know, reruns a little young, but, and I grew up like memorizing almost every outfit that he wore through the tunnel. Uh, and then trying to put that into my work now. And then fast forward a year or two years ago, I did a uh, complex's tunnel takedown and got to do a guest panel with Alan Iverson. And that oh, was wow. just like unreal for me. Even my father who like knows nothing about pop culture was like, Oh, Alan Iverson. I, I know who that. Oh, that's really good, Gia. He's like, he's like, I think he likes soccer, right? I was like, oh, close enough, Dad. Basketball, but you know, you're in the right world. So that was a really incredible moment. For like me. when you're genuinely into something, and then something like that happens, like that full circle thing, it, it hits you so hard. You know, I remember like the first time I met Michael Jordan, I was just like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. The first time I got to, you know, visit the Nike headquarters, is like, I can't believe I'm here. The fact that all these things, are, even for Jordan to be a lifelong NFL fan to being an agent, like, it's just like an unreal kind of thing. So just to close things out, what's one simple bit of advice that you can offer 
just to help someone who's either on the cusp of maybe taking that next step or who just lost, like, what's the one piece of advice that you could offer up to help them maybe break through out of some sort of wall that they have maybe? Um, I think, I think, I guess one piece of advice I would have given my younger self is it's weird to, I don't know how to, it sounds weird to say it, but don't be afraid to look back. I think that there were a lot of learning lessons in my past that I was so angry about that I never stopped to think about, okay, what were the solutions that could have came out of that? Or like, what is a new way I could have approached the situation? I was always too afraid to look back because everyone always told me you had to keep moving forward. But I think that there's some benefit to understanding, like, whether it be mistakes, positive or negative, that these things can impact the creative or the person you are now. So I think there's really good reason to look back once in a while if you need to. Yeah, that's a good point. And so I, I want to recap. I want to tell you what I've learned from from you being on here, if that's good. Cool. <laughs> so Let's number one, it. be curious. Right. That's that's a good one. Uh, also, don't be afraid to fail and don't be afraid to get out there. You know, you went from Alaska to California to New York, probably very scary for someone who hadn't really ventured out. And, and you know, and you really spread your wings and decided to go for it. And, and I failed a lot. I failed a lot, Jordan. Like, I just want everyone to know, like, I am still failing every day. But out of those failures is what is the again that curiosity comes out of those failures i think and that's what leads into persistency yeah and i think something that you won't say but i i think you've worked extremely hard i know you would say that but i would say that's something i'll humbly say for you um and also just being kind to people you know being being yourself being authentic and and you touched on it i mean it's very hard to find really great people in new york but uh, it sounds like you've kind of manifested that and attracted those people through your hard work and and your connections and your personality which is to me is very underrated. You know, some of the people don't talk about your people skills and your personality have a lot to do with kind of how far you can go sometimes. I, yeah, there have definitely been times where, uh, guiltily so, I've booked people based off their personality more than their work. Uh, good learn, good and bad learning lessons on that one. But yeah, you'll find a nice balance, hopefully. <laughs> and if I, could, if I could also share what I feel like I learned is paid for it. I think, you know, I think you definitely understand that a lot of people helped you along the way and definitely opened doors for you without them even knowing. And it's great that you're doing that, you know, that you're doing pro bono work for smaller brands who may not be able to afford it. And failure is a good thing too. I think failure is just a sign of you trying. That's you're making an attempt to do something different and nothing great was perfected the first time. You know, it was all, there was many, many failures leading up. So, um, but yeah, you know, I just wanted to say thank you again for being on here. I'm so glad that you and I got to connect. It was only like a few months ago where we actually connected because I, I knew that, you know, you might be someone interesting to talk to. And it's a, di a different point of view. I know we, a lot of our guests so far have been very core sneakers, but I'm glad that we got to get your point of view on your industry. It would be wrong to say that I don't love sneakers. Oh, I know you do love sneakers. I love sneakers. Part of, part, part of the reason was like I... Because I, when I was looking through your uh, social media, I was like, okay, she definitely likes sneakers. If she has this shoe or is into this shoe, then she likes this. She likes sneakers. She's not into the latest drop because she wants to stay in the conversation. It's she likes sneakers. So I knew right off the bat. So, but you saw my Humeras, huh? You it's saw the, the Humeras. Humeras. Were like, those, were, yeah. those disgusting hiking sneakers. Okay, she loves them. That, uh, you had the first Sakai Dunks that no one really thinks about or talks about, but. That's that's another time. But uh, but again, thank you so much for the time. You know, I, I really enjoyed you. learning about you. And uh, I hope, you know, our listeners got something great out of this because I know I did for sure. 
Thanks. And also, will you, you are you guys going to do a podcast, just the two of you introducing yourselves and your background? Because I feel like you guys have also like pretty phenomenal and weirdly unconventional backgrounds. That's also. the series finale, I think. <laughs> yeah, we don't yeah. we don't want to bore people. <laughs> we don't want to put people to sleep with our yeah, stories. We don't know. But yeah. Oh, come yeah. on. I think eventually one day when we just can't find a guest, we're going to have to interview each other because I'm pretty sure we can offer some advice to people. But yeah, one day we, we, we might. Just a thought. Just a thought. Cool. Well, thank you so much for having me, guys. Thank you, Gia. So that's it for this week's episode of Sneaker Salaries. But let's keep the conversation going online on our social media channels. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sneaker Salaries and hit us with a DM or a tweet. You can follow me personally on Instagram at John B-E-E-J Kim. And you can follow me on Instagram at Jordan Hagedorn. We'd love to hear your feedback. And if there's a topic you want us to tackle or a guest you want us to have on, you can reach out to us at sneakersalariespod at gmail.com. If you like the episode, feel free to share it with your friends and help spread the word. And please show us some love by leaving a five-star rating and positive review so we can grow this podcast. Sneaker Salaries is a sneakernews.com and 137 p.m. partnership and a Gallery Media Group original production.